So you've heard a little bit about the fact that you're the well. Amen. <laughs> Said, I am the well. <laughs> and I believe that in Jesus' name. And what we have learned over several months is that uh, each individual has to have that revelation. You know, the pastor will continue to preach this, you know, for the next five years, but you have to receive from the Spirit of God the reality that it's not in chasing some minister or some platform or some service or some revival. It's about you realizing that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is where? It's in you tonight. That was his plan from the foundation of the world. The scripture says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in fact in you. So we are the well. So it includes revelation, but then it also includes understanding about things like empowerment, what's actually in you. Same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the Holy Ghost and all that he has, the sevenfold spirit, the gifts, the fruit, it's all there. The anointing of God, that anointing is in you. Amen. The burden removing, yoke destroying power of God. For a long time, I would say from about last century forward, the body of Christ has been not just trained, but actually indoctrinated to think that everything that is powerful, everything that is supernatural, everything that God would do is outside of them. Go to this church. Go to this revival. Go see this evangelist. Go to this location. And that has left us with this idea that everything that it matters is outside of us. And all the time, guess what? We've been walking around with that power. But that power is worthless without some revelation and understanding and really seeing all that is in there. So we've been trained about the things of the Spirit, so we understand empowerment. We're also taught, number three, about connection. If we're not connected up to Him in living contact, there's not going to be any flow of that power. You cut a power conduit, no matter what the potential is on the other end, if the power conduit is cut, it's not going to do us any good on this end. And we know who has all the power, don't we, church? In fact, he's called what? All-powerful. Say it with me. He's all-powerful. He is El Elyon, the Most High God. He is El Shaddai. He is the all-sufficient one. Amen. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He's the power source. But if we kick the plug out of our lives by not staying in contact with him, we're not going to have that flow, And which means people are not going to be healed, delivered, set free, and saved without that flow. And I'll tell you this, uh, religion won't do it. Philosophy won't do it. Good works and being a good person won't do it. You have to be connected to the power conduit. He's the vine and what are we? And what happens when the branch is severed? It dies and it is withered. The scripture tells us all we need to do then is take them, bundle them together and burn them up. That's all they are worth. But if we're connected now, we're a conduit. And that's why we say you are the well. So there is revelation, there is empowerment, there is connection. And then number four, this is just as important, there's availability. And we can have all these things, but if we don't make ourselves available to be led and directed by the Spirit of God, nothing's going to be done. Somebody can be, you know, very near us in a restaurant or near us on a vacation or work with us, some, you know, to buy in a cubicle, whatever, and have an enormous need. But because we're not available, because we are not on active ready, that need can go unmet. That situation can go unresolved. That person can go unforgiven. That person can go unhealed. And how do you understand that if we're the well, then we're the source of that you know, vitality, we're the source of that wisdom, that revelation, we are, in fact, uh, you know, the body of Christ. Say it, I'm the body of Christ. And we are the well. But availability is huge. And uh, we talked about how easy it is for this life to get under our skin 
and how we can have a track record of availability and all of a sudden experience an emotional fallout and implosion and then from that point on not be available. You've got to guard your heart and watch what's going on out there. The devil is not for you. But God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? We talked to you about Elijah, how he was led and available to go to the, the brook Kareth, and he was available to go to the widow, and he was available to go confront Ahab, and he was available to go and deal the prophets of Baal. And then a woman threatened his life, and he ran. And all of a sudden, because, say it with me, in emotion, suddenly his availability stopped. Now, I'm just saying that to you to remind you that the most powerful weapon the devil will use against your availability is your emotional life. You will find yourself detached, disconnected, withdrawing, indifferent, don't care, because what you're going through is more important about what everybody else than what everybody else is going through out there around you. It will cause your availability to be compromised. And if it can happen to Elijah, come on, church, if it can happen to Elijah, the great prophet of God, and it could happen to anybody in this room. That's why we're, we're in the Word. That's why we learn these things to know. And the Scripture tells us we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. But this is a big one. And uh, I don't know where the Lord would have me go with this whole concept of, you know, emotionality in the body of Christ. But I am telling you, it is responsible for 99.99% of all the destruction, all the strife, all the failures, everything that's not, that's not being done that God wants done is because somebody somewhere is yielding to their emotions rather than to the will of God. And I'm preaching a lot better than y'all are staring at me right now. Amen. I mean, we can be on fire for God, spirit-filled, born again, in the Word of God, having our devotions, you know, thinking right, you know, even submitting our will. Then wham, we feel something. And on a dime, everything can be compromised just like that. We can't afford to be like that anymore. Now, you know, you know when, you're, when you're younger in the Lord or younger chronologically, we can understand being more impetuous. But as we grow up in the Lord, guess what? We need to stop being so moved by our emotions. Here's the problem, though. What I have learned through the years watching people is if, if young people don't correct this in their lives, they grow up being older people with the same problem. So the first time you see this tendency in your life to let emotions overrule what you know is the plain will of God or the right way of handling something, you correct yourself. And you look in the mirror and say, I don't want to be 80 years old and still be emotion ruled. I want to be available. Does that make sense? What I found out, those habits you make as a baby Christian, as a young Christian, they'll follow you if you're not careful. So what do you want to do? You want to have good habits. You don't want a habit of being offended and put out and disgusted. You want to be having, having a habit of walking in love and staying in the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. Can I have an amen tonight? Amen. And recognizing you may have a tendency to yield to the motion. Be aware of that. Put your foot down and say, no, I'm going to feel that because that's the way God made you. Can I have an amen? You're going to feel. We're not talking about somehow you know, shooting you with a drug where you never feel that. You're going to feel the key is I can feel something without acting on it. That's where the maturity comes in. So say it with me. I have it. I'm the well. I've got revelation. I have empowerment, connection, and availability. Now, when it comes to the well, what you and I have to do 24-7, and it's not a burden. I mean, you know, it's a blessing to be a part of God's plan. But 24-7, you and I have to be the well and ready on the instant, body, soul, and spirit. 
Say it with me. Body, soul, and spirit. If any dimension of man is not in agreement with this end time plan of God, that's where the letdown is going to be. That's where the devil is going to have a, a foothold. That's where there's going to be defeat. That's where there's going to be a lack of fruit, you know, or victory there. So in 1 Peter 3, if you want to go there with me, 1 Peter 3.15, I'm going to read this to you from the Amplified. It says, But in your hearts set Christ apart as holy, acknowledging Him, giving Him first place in your lives as Lord. That's what it means to set Christ apart in your heart, in your life. Always be ready. Say that with me. Always be ready. Always be ready to give Hello. Amplify says a logical defense to anyone who asks you to account for the hope and confident assurance elicited by faith that is within you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, raise your hand tonight if you're absolutely 100% confident that you're saved and you're going to heaven when you leave this planet. 100%. How many of you know that's a blessing? You know, there are people meeting on the other side of town that they don't teach that. It's good works. It's balance sheets. You never know. Maybe you'll get in and maybe you won't get out. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches a justification by faith. Amen. We understand that we are saved by grace. And with that, if we're doing what the Word says, there's going to be that confidence. Now, other people need that confidence. Other people need that assurance that they're on the right track, that they're headed down the right path. And you and I, according to the Scripture, need to be what? Ready. We're talking now no longer about the, the theological foundation of the well and, and everything that we need and in terms of all the mechanics. We're talking about now coming to the place where we take up the challenge and we make up the decision to keep ourselves ready, body, soul, and spirit, ready to give that account, ready to share our faith, ready to let other people know why we have the joy. Amen? Say, I have the joy. Look at somebody and say, tell your face now. We have the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Praise the Lord. John 4.35 from the King James says, Say ye not, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Now, I didn't call Wilma and say, Wilma, give a tongue, and Barb, you give the interpretation tonight about harvest, and then I'll write this scripture down, and it'll all look like we're all spirit-led. How many of the Spirit of God knows what He's doing? And He wants to impart something into your heart tonight. The scripture says, Say ye not. Well, if we, it says, Say ye not, then what should we do? Don't say this. Don't say there for more months. Don't say one day in the by and by he'll come. One day is the harvest. What does it say? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. We are the well and the harvest is ready. Hallelujah. Said, I am the well and the harvest is ready. But notice it says, lift up your eyes. That should tell you and me that not everybody sees it. Not everybody's going to get it. Live their life just as natural as the next person until they leave this world, leave this planet, and go to be with the Lord. That's not God's best for us. Look at the scripture in 2 Timothy 4 2. Just a little piece of scripture here. And this is where I want to kind of focus for the next little bit tonight. 2 Timothy 4 2. How does it start? Preach. Preach what? Preach 
the word, listen to this language, be instant, in season, and out of season. Preach the word, be instant, in season, and out of season. You can uh, kind of play, uh, you know, place this word in there, be ready, in season, and out of season. This means you must be ready at all times, even if it's unexpected or inconvenient for you. Say that it will be unexpected, inconvenient. Have you noticed that Americans don't like to be inconvenienced? It's just part of our culture. We just don't like to be inconvenienced. Part of the Bible culture is you must let yourself be inconvenienced. Because people don't have needs on your timetable. Amen. You have to give your hands and your eyes and your ears and your feet and your mind, your body, soul, and spirit over so the Lord can use you any way he wants to. Not any way I want to. Any way he wants to. Say it, my mind, my body, my emotions, my will, my spirit. Say it, body, soul, and spirit. We have to have relegated everything over to him so that he can use us at any time any way he wants. Lord, make me your instrument. Do you really mean that? If you really mean that, then he gets to play you whenever he wants. Whether it's convenient or not. Set you in motion whether it's convenient or not. And you'll find out that oftentimes in ministry, it's not always convenient. It's not always an opportune time for you. Let's dive a little bit further into this. Say it with me. I must be ready. Isn't this great? We, we are available and we're connected and we have the empowerment and we have the revelation, but are we ready? Ready when? You know, when you run across a serious physical situation, someone comes to you for a prayer, you don't have time to build yourself up at that point. You have to be what? Ready then. You don't have time to get all the religion out of your brain that you've been sucking on because you've been listening to the wrong stuff. It's God's will to heal. It's not God's will to heal. It's God's will to heal. God will teach you something in that sickness. It's God's will to heal. Well, you never know what God's going to do. Which is it? Amen. You put in, put in your eyes in front of the Word of God, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll find out that He never turned anybody away. That's what the Word record declares. But if you've been mixing it up at that moment in time, it's going to be hard for you with sights and sounds and intensive care again. If things beeping, amen, fluids running, Everything visually that would tell you this person's not going to make it, if you're not ready, you're going to have nothing to offer that person. We've got to be ready. Turn to somebody and tell them, you've got to be ready. What? Ready, body, soul, and spirit. Instant means that you have the authority, love, and power of God on active ready. And you're doing what's necessary to be on the active ready. Which means you're not taking a vacation from church, a vacation from the word, a vacation from prayer, a vacation from taking in things that build your faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You're not doing that. It's just you can't, when you run into an emergency spiritually, you just can't say, okay, now let's go listen to the faith tapes and get built back up again. No, you have to be what? In other words, when Peter came across the temple and the beggar at the temple gate beautiful, he didn't tap him on the head and say, well, I'm going to have to come back when I'm ready. Was he ready? 
He must have been because the bold declaration out of his mouth was that silver and gold had he done. But what? Such as I have, I possess, I am ready. What? Be healed. And that's the difference. You see, can, can we possibly have a consciousness of readiness? Apparently we can. You look at these men of God, you look at these people in Scripture, and they didn't blink. They didn't hesitate. They didn't go cowering into a corner until they felt like they had the power. There was a confidence in knowing that not only were they born again and spirit-filled and called to do the work, amen, to raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out devils, do what Scripture talks about in Luke 10, in Matthew 10, in Mark chapter 16. You can just sense there was a real confidence of what was on the inside of them. Not, I need to go to a conference for a few years and then I'll come back and minister to you if you're still alive. There's a confidence of readiness. Say that with me, confidence of readiness. That's what instant means. Now, in season means ready to perform your duty at a normal or expected time. When there seems to be no persecution, no opposition, everything is just on, on the normal. We just, we do things in season. Just a normal flow of things. Maybe it's your, your ministry, the normal flow of your ministry. You're just doing what you're called to do and everything is flowing, everything is appropriate. Everything is just basically in season. It's expected. This is the way things are in a time like this. But how do you understand not every season is in season? There's also what? Out of season. And that means you move when something is unexpected, not on your schedule, not popular, or goes against the grain. And have you noticed that the winds in this country are blowing decidedly anti-Christian? So are we going to just sit there and, and look uh, upon these things and wait till everybody agrees with us? Or do we do just what the Lord told us to do? Look, I'm telling you right now, if you're going to stand as a, as a non-compromising, word of faith, born again, spirit-filled, baptized in the Holy Ghost, tongue-talking person, unashamed of the gospel, you're going to rub some people the wrong way. And if you're looking for popularity, acceptance, and be the well, that's not going to happen. You make up your mind that you're going to just be what God wants you to be for his mission and just relegate the rest of that to whatever. You don't make a lot of great friends doing the supernatural work of the ministry. In fact, that's not even the agenda. The agenda is getting people saved, getting them delivered. The agenda is getting them from hell into heaven, making it hard, for example, in Murray, Kentucky, to go to hell from Murray because you're actually engaged. You're out there, you know, part of, of the good news and spreading the good news. But if you're looking for people to affirm what's going on, it's another devil in the American church culture. If we're not appreciated somehow, then we can't do ministry. You're appreciated by God. I mean, this is not some kind of worldly concept or operation here. Uh, get your slaps on the back from the one that died for you. Get your slaps on the back from the one who's called you. The fact that he called you is a high calling and a precious thing. Does that make sense? I'm telling you, a lot of people, if, if you're not just absolutely just falling over them with, with praise and encouragement and affirmation, they can't do it. Man didn't call you. And that doesn't mean we can't and shouldn't encourage each other. We should encourage each other in the Lord. We can affirm one another. We can say, a boy, and great job, and do it again, hang in there, whatever the case may be. But in our heart of hearts, if we're going to let that shut us down, then we're doing everything for the wrong reason. 
We shifted from doing it for his glory to doing it for the praise and affirmation of people. Does that make sense? In other words, sometimes the sermon's anointed even if nobody wants the DVD or CD. Nobody. Nobody logs on to listen to it again. That does not mean it's not anointed. Sometimes it's too anointed. Sometimes it's a ten-toe sermon. And you weren't wearing any boots at the time. And you just rather not just flip it back in there and listen to it again and go through all that. You just say, okay, I'm going to repent. Forget about this. Amen. Go on. Uh, you, you know, we preach the word in love, but the word itself is hard. The standard is high. The world doesn't like it and tells us to shut up because we don't conform to what they are teaching, what they're propagating out there. But do you know, no matter if every Christian, every minister, every church in America backed away from the word, the word's still going to be true. The only difference is you and I are going to be judged by that same word if we back away from it, along with those who have rejected him. Amen. The word is true regardless. What's our job? That's what we teach. That's what we preach. So, you know, it's, it's a mystery of mysteries. It's a paradox. You can be smack dab in the middle of the will of God and nobody like you. Is that why you're doing it? Because people will like you? Again, you stepped out of the, the vision of being a, a well and being a source of life for people into thinking that somehow the, the pleasure of people and the goodwill of people is what it's all about. It's, it's just not. So to be instant in season and out of season is I am instant in season in normal times when everything is going like it should, but out of season when it seems like everything is going the wrong way. Amen. When everything's going great, it's a lot easier to do what we're supposed to do. When you do what you're supposed to do and it seems like you're out of season and you're not seeing progress, you're not seeing anything come to pass, you're not seeing any fruit, what do you do? You continue to hold your faith out there that the word will not return what void. It will, in fact, produce what God has sent it to produce. But uh, your job is just to stay the course. Say it with me. I'm instant, in season, and out of season. Say it. I'm going to stay the course. I promise you this. There are those in this room, you made up your mind to stay the course. You're going to see the hand of God move in you and through you. You're going to see things that are exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask, think, or imagine according to that power that's already at work with us. You're going to actually see things other people, even the apostles, even the prophets long to see. Even people a hundred years ago would have loved to see. But it's going to require that you stay the course. And that's your own actor of ready. Don't take a vacation from faith. Amen. Don't take a hiatus from believing God, but be faithful. Stay in there. Amen. Glory to God. Well, what does this mean? It means that that every dimension of the human being, every dimension of the believer, has to be instant in season and out of season. So in other words, my mind can't be ready and my body doing something else. I can't have my body in subjection and then my emotions are all over the map. I gotta have my mind and emotions right, but you know, on occasion when I see that here's plainly discernible the will of God, but I choose to do the opposite, that's not going to work. Body, soul, and spirit. Every dimension of the believer has to be in agreement and inactive, ready. It might be simpler if we were just one dimensional. 
Amen. But we're not. Turn to somebody and say, you're complicated. Very, very complicated. Uh, and there will be that day when the glorification process is complete. But you're not there. So what you're going to have to do is monitor these dimensions for conformity to the high standard of being instant in season and out of season. Each of these dimensions. And they're, they're not, uh, uh, you know, anything you haven't heard. The only way this works is for each part to be ready and prepared at all times. One dimension out of whack can keep you from doing what you're supposed to do. Now, it all starts, of course, number one, with the Spirit. That's the first dimension, the Spirit. I mean the Spirit man. I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit here. It means you're born again. How many glad you're born again? But not just born again, but getting stronger in spirit. Growing up in the faith. Proverbs 18, 14, the Amplified says, The strong spirit of a man sustains him in bodily pain or trouble, but a weak and broken spirit who can raise up or bear. You know, if you and I are born again but weak in spirit, how are we supposed to help somebody else that's weak in spirit? Amen. I mean, if you go to somebody to help them and you come down more torn down than you went, and they are too, that probably wasn't a good meeting. Uh, if we're engaging somebody, we need to be there and prepared to be able to lift them up out of whatever it is that they're in. That means you have to be strong in spirit. And that's not going to happen. I wish you could just get to a plateau and it would just stick. I'm at you know, level 5,042 spiritually, and that's where I'm going to stay. But guess what? It didn't happen that way. You've got to discipline yourself to stay strong in spirit. I'm not saying you go from being born again and unborn again. Born again. No, I'm not talking about your new birth. I'm talking about the strength of your spirit man as you are born again. And we know things that will do that, right? Build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. We know that faith comes by what? By hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But see, there's one thing to say that. It's another thing to do it. So the one that's been walking around praying in the Holy Ghost is going to be a whole lot more ready, right, on active ready from a spiritual standpoint to minister. We've already talked about this, but just by way of review, when you're praying in the Holy Ghost a lot, you're going to discern direction easier. You're going to discern things. You're going to have greater boldness in that situation. You're not going to hesitate. You're going to be quick to, to release that, that power, that faith that's on the inside of you to benefit somebody else. Um, you know, born-again Christians that are spirit-filled, that do not use their prayer language, they're more timid than they're supposed to be. And you're supposed to be bold as what? As a lion. Amen. Second uh, dimension is the body. Everybody say the body. That means set apart and sanctified for his use. And you may be here today and your body is more unruly than somebody else. I don't know. I, you know, we don't have body police in this church. <laughs> Running around trying to figure out what you're doing or what you're not doing. You know, are you on some kind of addiction? You know, on some kind of a practice or some kind of lust that's controlling your life? Listen, I don't know any pastor in the world that wants that job. Besides that, the Holy Ghost already has that job. The Spirit, wonderful. You're growing in the things of the Spirit. But how many of you know you also have to make sure that body is in place like it's supposed to be? You say, what do I mean by that? Well, Paul said in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Who's supposed to present them? You walk up to that altar. 
You put that body on the altar. You offer your body as a what? As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your what? Reasonable service. It's the least you can do. Is go up there and offer your body every single day, every single time, and say, you know what, Lord, I'm yours to commend. And uh, it's, it's an interesting paradise because normally the sacrifices don't survive. You know, the animal sacrifices didn't get up off the tent, didn't get off the altar. You know, the blood didn't pour back into their bodies. But in the case of the believer, guess what? I mean, it's a living sacrifice. You are sacrificed for that purpose, instant in season and out of season, and yet you're alive. Amen. And that's part of the problem: is we're alive. Amen. So every day you have to what? He must increase. You must decrease, and you must die, what? Daily. How did Paul put this? <laughs> Instead, he said, I discipline my body, 1 Corinthians 9.27, and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be what? Disqualified. Romans 6, 12, what does it say? Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies to obey the lust thereof. Your spirit is supposed to be active, ready, instant, in season, and out of season, but your body's supposed to be in season and out of season. And if there's a stronghold there, how I many you know there's deliverance for it? Amen. There's nothing that may be going on with you or happening you know, in your life or something you struggle with that, that somehow God is inferior to that thing. Amen? He is mighty in that situation. But you have to monitor what's going on. I discipline my body and keep it under control. Another translation says that he beats his body in his subjection. Imagine that. I wonder if he really did or if that's just a metaphor. <laughs> Either way, we get the point, don't we? You want to do this body, here's what's going to happen. Here's what you're going to do. Glory to God. Say the Spirit... And the body. Instant. In season. And out of season. How about the mind, number three? The mind is to be continually renewed and agreeing with the word. Anybody here ever have their mind take a spiritual vacation? You were doing just fine on Sunday and Monday, and then Tuesday your mind went into the gutter, your mind went into negativity. You have to show up in that ministry situation with your mind renewed. Not what it used to be from 10 years ago or a year ago or six months ago, but on the act of ready, ready, prepared, instant, in season, and out. He's my mind ready today to do whatever I'm supposed to do. You know some of these scriptures don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. A scripture in, a, in, a, in Ephesians that tells us, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Ephesians 4.27. I love this. I'm going to say it again. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. It's great that you're born again, Spirit-filled. You've been you know, talking in tongues and you're built up, and it's great. You beat your body in subjection. But if your mind is all over the map and you approach a, a need, and the first thing you do is you go to natural things, 
You see so many circumstances and so many reasons why that person can't be healed or why they can't be delivered or why they can't be saved. Anybody here ever met a really hard case? That you thought to yourself, if God could save that person, God could save anybody. Maybe you were that person. But your mind, you know, centered on the Word of God, is not going to drift off into unbelief or doubt or fear or being sidetracked by what's going on. That's a big problem right now. Can we stay focused long enough to be the well? I mean, really, how long can we stay focused to actually be the vessel he needs us to be? In this age of instant gratification and social media, not very long. I mean, we have a very short attention span anymore as the people of God. Amen. But we've got to be focused. Look at somebody and say, focused. Your mind needs to be continually renewed and agreeing with the Word of God. Number four, emotions. We've never heard anything about this one before. With your emotions, you experience life, but you do not allow yourself to be ruled by your emotions. Experiential, but not emotion, rule. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And take note of this. The Bible says, don't give the devil a foothold. What happens is when you are emotion ruled, who are you giving access to? You're giving access to the enemy. Oh, I just don't know if I believe that. Well, look at the fruit. I mean, actually, raise your hand. If you ever had anything good of spiritual fruit come from you being emotion controlled? I want to meet you and shake your hand if you have. Where this wonderful spiritual breakthrough took place because you uncorked on somebody. No volunteers here? Because you completely, just absolutely, you know, went after somebody. Did, did, were you able then to lead them to Jesus? You're probably the last person they want to hear anything about Jesus. And no, it's not going to fly that way. James 1, 19 and 20, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Everyone. Everyone includes us. Everyone. Slow to speak. What? Everyone. What do we normally, we're quick to, to what? To speak and slow to listen. And slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteous life that God desires. Now, anger, you can just kind of put in the word there, emotion. Because human emotion does not produce the godly life that God desires. Your emotions are not anointed to produce the godly life. People think that there's some kind of supernatural connection between how I feel emotionally and, and the presence of God or the move of God has nothing to do with it. There's not a single emotion that advances the purpose of God in your life. Well, love, Pastor? No, love's not an emotion. Love is a covenant. Love is an action. Agape has nothing to do with you feeling anything. You can agape somebody that in the natural you dislike them thoroughly. But you agape them because it's the will of God and the command of God. There is no feeling that advances the kingdom of God. There is no emotion that is going to work the righteous life that God desires. That's not the purpose of your emotions. Amen. But how, how uh, absolutely you know, sterile life would be if you didn't have emotions. The problem is learning to feel without being ruled by what you feel. And that's the difficulty. And that is where the overwhelming majority of Christians in this country are living right now. 
You can be born again, love God, but if they're controlled by their emotions, they're not going to be able to be the well. In fact, they're not going to be able to be victorious, period. Amen. It is not the anger that produces the righteous life that God desires. That doesn't mean that we don't get angry. Be angry in what? Sin not. Can you go through times of loss of sorrow? Yes. But is that feeling of loss of sorrow going to advance the kingdom of God? Absolutely not. You can feel happy today. Is your happiness going to advance the kingdom of God? No. In fact, you can turn that happiness into a pursuit. Amen. That's where our, one of our founding documents gets it wrong. It should be the pursuit of joy, not happiness. Amen. That's where we straddle the line with, with secularism. The higher goal is for you to walk in joy, and that's produced through your relationship with God by the Holy Spirit. But if your goal is to be happy, I promise you there's a lot of ministry areas you'll stay away from completely. Because they will not make you happy. Come on, turn to somebody and say, happiness is not the goal. So what do I do? You feel things, but you're not ruled by them. It's a discipline. Amen. What we're not teaching you is don't feel. You're going to feel. The question is, would you let those feelings override the Spirit of God and the Word of God in your life? That's the big deal. Amen. Say it with me, active, ready. Instant in season and out of season. My spirit, my body, my mind, my emotions, all ready. Any one of those four are not ready, and guess what? That could be the dimension that keeps you from doing the ministry you're called to do. Amen. There's one dimension. What's that? The will. This means discerning and submitting to the will of God daily and moment by moment. Say that with me, daily and moment by moment. You get up in the morning, you say, Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And by 10 o'clock, you're doing your own thing. No, that's not going to work. Moment by moment as well as daily. Scripture says if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good things of the land. Isaiah 119. Psalm 47 through 8. Then I said, Here am I, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll, I desire to do your will. My God, your law is within my heart. That's what we want to be. Completely and totally God will. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is a perfect picture. I mean, you know, he wasn't looking forward in the natural going to the cross. He has a physical body just like we have a physical body. He's not an idiot. He's been around Palestinians long enough to know how the Romans treated them and how the Romans treated the Jews. How do you understand? He saw it. He knew what crucifixion was all about. This is not somebody has a, who's clueless about what's going to happen to him in the natural. This is going to happen. He says, Father, if it's possible, what? Let this cup be what? Nonetheless. Now, what do you see there? You see somebody... Whose, whose body is going berserk. What does the scripture say that he was in such distress that he was actually sweating blood? I mean, no, everything in his body is saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Just go back to heaven. <laughs> Take a hike. These people are crazy. <laughs> what do you think his mind was saying? 
I'm supposed to walk in the park here, no problem. Some people say, well, he only suffered, you know, for a while. He only hung on the cross for a few hours and whatever. <clears throat> Trust me. He knew exactly from every spiritual dynamic to the physical part of it to, you know, the war literally, the, the snatching away of the keys to hell, you know, death, life, the grave. I mean, God is, is knowing all of this, and all this is operating, of course, in his mind. And how many know he had emotions just like the rest of us? Can you see in the garden there is, there is a, an emotional dimension of our Savior? Scripture tells us that he was tempted at every point like we are, yet without sin. In other words, because he became man, he now experienced the effect of every dimension. You know, would he do, would he, he be the well, would he be the example? And we see in his body, in his mind, his emotions, and you see the, the vocalization of this issue of will, the dimension of the will, will he line up with the Father or will he balk? And what did he do? He did it. And look at the fruits that he bore. You see what I'm saying to you? If we'll get our, our body and our mind, our will and our emotions, our spirit all together, you see this? And you know your spirit, man, is not going to crack the whip. You're going to have to get into agreement and understand how this works. You're multidimensional. There's nothing you can do about that. But the good news is if Jesus managed to harness it looking at what he was facing, then you can harness these dimensions as well for what God has called you to do in this earth. And I want to point out to you that it has to do every day with, with choices. Uh, there are a few times as you're growing up that a choice that you make can absolutely impact the rest of your life. And I don't know when that starts for you. Sometimes maybe around high school, you know, college age, whatever, marrying somebody, not marrying somebody. But the whole trajectory of your life can change because you made a what? A choice which means you exercised your will, which means you either exercised your will in the direction that God would have you go, or you did not. And, uh, you know, sometimes you can look back on a choice or a decision and at the time not really realizing how powerful and how important it was. Well, that's just a youthful indiscretion or this was just a choice I made about a job or whatever. Uh, you and I don't get to live like that. A lot of people are self-willed in the body of Christ. I'm going to go here and I'm going to go there. And James said, you know, you ought to say if it's the Lord's will, we'll go here, we'll go there, we'll transact business. Uh, I didn't think, for example, it was that big of a deal when I was a sophomore in high school. You know, if I suspended training, I was in the water, you know, four or five hours a day. And it um, went on an a exchange trip to Germany for about a month. I didn't think that was that big of a deal. Now, you have to understand one thing about swimming. It's very different from other uh, types of athletics, uh, the conditioning process is very specific and you can get what we call out of shape very quickly. But making this decision, I, I really wanted to slay at my parents' feet because we were in the German club and all of us have been raising funds for this. Lots of my friends were going. It was going to be a great time. We're going to be spending time with the German family and going to school over there with them and then uh, seeing all the sites, whatever, the nearby city of, of Hamburg. And I wanted to just lay it in their lap. Here, what do, you, what do you think I should do? You know what they did? Mm-mm. <laughs> you're you're going to make this decision. You're going to make that choice. And I thought to myself, well, I'll, I'll find a pool somewhere, and I'll, I'll try to work out. And there was a pool. It was about a 25-mile bike ride away. 
Uh, so, yeah, I got a double workout, you know, when I actually got there. And, of course, by the time I'd get to the pool and, and my friends were there, I didn't really feel like doing any kind of workout. And there was no coach, you know, supervision. So, uh, you know, all in all, it was, uh, you know, from a standpoint, wasn't that great of an idea. But then there was the social side of this. Amen. I found out that, that, that young German girls like young American boys. And you can't be shocked because I wasn't married to you then. I didn't even know you then. <laughs> so just settle down. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, it, it, everything over there was, was, was fairly innocent. Uh, but to be perfectly honest with you, I did smooch with a few of them. Uh, see? See, that's why I debated telling this story, because she, I knew she was going to be sitting over here shooting darts at me. And I'm going I'm to climb behind the plexiglass there in a minute and preach the rest of this. Today. And, uh, you know, the problem is when you're smooching on somebody, you don't know who they've been smooching. And, uh, you know, looking back on that, there could have been a thousand ways that I contracted mono. Um, most people think the swimmers that go in the water and, and everything associated with the water, the chlorine will kill it, and there, there's no problems that you can't swallow, you know, water that maybe somebody had to spit up or whatever and get that. The truth is you can, so I don't know for sure. But you know, in retrospect, it could have very well been that some German chick gave me a German version of mono. The problem with that is it wasn't the training at that point, but the disease itself did a number on any future athletic competition. Uh, in fact, mono is a death knell for a track uh, you know, athlete or for a swimmer. Uh, every once in a while you hear somebody coming back from that. But the point is, and how many understand that God's able to redeem all that, get you where you're supposed to be? I thought I was supposed to be in Charleston, South Carolina. The Lord thought I was supposed to be here at Murray State University. And so he moved me up from there to here. And he is well able to, so if we get in gear and eventually say, you know, I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to be what God wants me to be. We can have all the planes in the world. And like George Bailey, you know, from uh, It's a Wonderful Life, I was just like that. And I can tell you that pretty much everything that I George Bailey did in my life, it just went the opposite direction. Uh, but the important thing is, are you doing what God's called you to do? Do you see this? But all I can tell you is we have no idea how decisions along the way. See, go back to what I said about my parents. They didn't make that decision. I made that decision. From a conditioning standpoint, not a good decision. Amen. But it's the same way now. God is not going to suddenly show up and say, you know what, I'm taking away your choices. I'm not going to give you a decider anymore. Now that you're born again, I'm going to decide everything. It's not going to happen. What you're going to find out is while you are, are putting that body into submission and you're walking around strengthening your spirit and you're renewing your mind daily and you're keeping your emotions under control, you've got to make sure that you're not veering off into la-la land. I'll tell you what, the devil can't get you with temptation to sin. If the devil can't get you with discouragement, if the devil can't get you with something negative, he'll open a door for you. And even get you excited about, oh, praise the Lord. This is from the Lord. And the devil's just sitting back there laughing and laughing and laughing. And at that point in time, pastor can't tell you nothing. 
A lot of people are destroyed, not necessarily by some negative attack, but by some positive open door that they couldn't discern had nothing to do with God. That's part of the, the scheme bag that the scumbag has. <laughs> Amen. When we're born again, controlling the body, actively renewing the mind, dominating the emotions, submitting our will, we're ready to release the supernatural power that's resident in us. Say it with me. Born again, controlling the body, renewing the mind, dominating the emotions, submitting the will. I'm ready. Instant. In season, instant, out of season, for the glory of God. So here's just a couple questions for you. Are you growing spiritually? Only you know that. And only you know that. Everybody around you can say, oh, yeah, they're growing. Look at them. They're heads and tails above everybody else. Look what God's doing in their life. That doesn't mean anything. They could be cruising from what they learned 20 years ago. The question is, are you growing are you in control of your body? Are you thinking the thoughts of God every day? Are you controlling yourself emotionally or are your emotions controlling you? Are you identifying and then submitting to the will of God in every area of life? Amen. No, you, you make a good point here. If you say to yourself, well, God didn't make us robots. Maybe he should have. Well, should have, could have, it doesn't matter. You weren't made robots. The dimensions of man show you that we're not robotic. Amen. We are complicated. And if we're going to be the well, we're going to have to get mastery, not over just one area, but all of them. So you mean it's not enough to be born again? That's exactly what I mean. If all you had to do to be, use God, God like this is to be born again, then everything would be happening. But obviously being born again is not enough. Being spirit-filled is not enough. Amen? So say it with me. Every dimension. Say it boldly. Every dimension. My spirit. My mind. My emotions. My body. My will. Yielded to the Lord. Amen.